Welcome to the Disability Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people living with disabilities. We hear about their life, learn tips, tricks, and share ideas to help each other and our listeners with new ideas to solve real-world obstacles. So let's not waste any time and jump right into it. Today I am delighted to be talking to Matthew Couchman, a geophysicist holding a degree and master's from Leeds and a PhD from Texas A&M University. We know each other from playing cricket for the Disability Surrey Squad, which I'm sure we will talk a lot about during this conversation. Matthew has transverse myelitis, which I will leave him to explain. So, welcome, Matthew. Yeah, th- thanks, Christian. Um, so, yeah, I, I suffer from transverse myelitis. Um, so that's an inflammation of both sides of a section of my spinal cord. It leads to dulled nerve endings and muscle weakness for me, but there are other symptoms that are associated with transverse myelitis as well. Um, I got transverse myelitis at the age of four. Uh, in my case, it was caused by a reaction to the chicken box. Although it can be caused by many viral infections, bacterial skin infections, or any vaccine, and it can occur at any age as well. Because of the age that I originally suffered with transverse myelitis, I don't actually have any real memory of before having a disability. So I don't really have any comparison to make to, to life before um, before my disability. It's the region of the spine. So I'm just, I mean, I always try and relate disabilities back to my own. I mean, mine, I've got cerebral palsy, so it's all brain related, but there's some, there's some of the symptoms there that, you know, I can relate to. How did it affect your childhood? I can say from my experience when I was a child, it didn't really affect me because no one really cared about your disability when you're in primary school, they're just, you know, getting along and, you know, trying to experience life. So my question is, was your primary schooling and to an extent your secondary schooling, did it affect you in a positive, negative way? Yeah. Um... It's interesting to hear your experiences there that it affects you less at, at primary school. Um, it's reassuring to hear I, I had very much the opposite experience. Um, but it's actually quite encouraging that from your point of view that you know, kids didn't care as much um, where I, I, I found it a bit more the other way. I said, I don't really remember anything before the disability. So there's no real transition here from not having a disability and how things were to how it was after. But yeah, when I was... I was very young, you know, I, I remember really struggling with this around my fourth birthday. And I remember actually having my birthday party at the age of four at Pizza Hut. And that's sort of my youngest memory. And I remember just being incredibly ill after that and the start of, of really my disability and all the struggles that came after that. So as a child, I associated pizza with disability for a very long time. With, oh, no. Imagine as be, being a child and missing out on 10 plus years of pizza. So it's a terrible thing to have to go through. That's terrible. That is terrible. All those pizza parties missed. I know. But what came out of that is, you know, I couldn't walk. And my parents took me to multiple doctors and physiotherapists. And the general consensus was, you'll never walk again. And that was the sort of the blanket statement from most doctors. Uh, But my parents basically wouldn't take no for an answer. It's not a case that they wouldn't have accepted it if I couldn't walk again, but they wanted someone to at least come up with a plan to try something. To, you know, why not try? I, I'm four. I've got time to try and learn and see, what, see where I can get to. Um, and thankfully, we found a physiotherapist at Fairfield Hospital in Bury who came up with a plan um, involving 
a huge amount of physiotherapy, which started off in hospital and really followed me through to the end of primary school. And they gave me a lot of support. But the first thing I had to do was learn to walk again at the age of four when you're already going to primary school. You're already trying to learn so much at that point. And then you've just learned to walk. And then you have to <laughs> then you have to go back and learn it again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, as well, you know, one of those other things is you're the only kid in the class that can't walk. Um, and I had splints, they're called. So these are like plastic leg supports that come up to, yeah. to, to calf height. The AFOs. So, so yeah, they they make they make you stand out a little bit. They, I mean, I had them. I think mine only came up to my knee, so right. I, mine got covered with. They only showed when in the sun when I was you know wearing shorts. Personally, they annoy you on you know just walking about, and then but they also, from my perspective, they also put a spotlight on you, even though there is they they can't tell with trousers, you can't tell, but they have it. There's a you think there's a spotlight on you because you're walking slightly different to everyone else, even though. That's exactly how I felt. Um, yeah, I felt like there was a spotlight on me, and I, I don't know, you're, you're a few years younger than me, so maybe maybe they thinned down a little bit by the time you had yours, but mine my, my were really thick and chunky things, and uh, you could see them through the trouser. Yeah, they you could see that you know, your trouser would wrap around them tightly because of uh, they were yeah. that thick. But, you know, not just having that which men that was more obvious but as you mentioned you walk a little differently and, it, and in my case i rushed relearning to walk but when you're the only child in the class that that really can't walk you you learn quickly so you can get onto the same level as as the kids around you and that's left me even you know to today i walk a little differently um most certainly like i my leg sort of turned inwards um so oh, yeah. I, I still have had that up until today thankfully as i got a little bit older uh, the splints eventually got replaced with heel cups, which is sort of insoles into your shoe, which is more to help balance and coordination rather than do much else. I can just explain how my splint evolution came. So I used to have those thick, chunky plastic things. Now I have ones that are like, they're basically, imagine a shin pad with an insole with just one like piece of material connecting the shin pad to the insole. So you can't tell that, that anyone wears it anymore. Unfortunately, I mean, this is one thing that I don't like is uh, from the last time I went to the hospital, the NHS still gives you the big plastic ones, which, okay, they may work, but for, for confidence-wise, they're not, they're not good. But luckily, the technology has gone a long way, and obviously, yeah, I'm, I assume you're much happier with just the insole type thing than a full-on splint i was much happier i mean I, I now don't have anything um i've stopped using the heel cups when i was saying maybe 15. um so now I, I i don't have any any sort of aims or anything like that to to help um, no aids at all. Oof, i wish i could have no aids at all that's 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 the dream <laughs> you mentioned physio just quickly because my cerebral palsy was diagnosed before, during, or after birth. So luckily, my parents put me in physio basically week two of my of my existence. I'm a big fan of physio because I can see how it works. You try and convince the doctor, you try and convince the doctors that it's worth, but, but they say, oh, you know, it's 
you can't prove you can you could have become like this without physio there's no way of proving that it was physio that helped you and i say that's a lot of nonsense but it is they, they they say what it is so you said you have physio from primary school after that did you continue doing the physio because i want to know how like my experiences of physio yeah i had it a lot in primary school then it just sort of dropped off especially when i was 16 and i had to luckily i had a uh, private physio on the side because it needed it but how was your like experience of physio after primary school well i think i think first i'm just going to agree with your point on the importance of physio it wasn't a doctor that told me i would walk again it was a physio and the only reason i can walk is because of physio um it's got nothing to do with doctors um they they've given up on me essentially it's all, it's all down to the physio. So I, I think that plays a huge part. And I was doing physio. It varied. When I was really young, it was it was probably twice a week because that's all I could manage. And it went up towards four times, five times a week. And then it started to come back down again as I, as I needed it less. You get to a point where you know, the improvements are going to come to everyday life for me rather than, than, um, than through the physio. You know, by the time I left primary school i was having physio once a week um which was which was fine um uh, and then i moved to secondary school and, and that's when we drew a line under it but it felt like a natural end yeah, i didn't really need to have mm. regular physio and my physio was at primary school i was being taken out of class to do that so you know other children in class thought i was lucky because if i was missing it i was missing a lesson to go and do physio they don't realize you have to go and do the lesson again later in the evening. You know, you, you have to still learn the same things. You just have less time to do it in. Yeah, that that, yeah. that also led to sort of some, some bullying and unfortunately for me, some, some depression at primary school. I mean, that, I mean, that's really unfortunate for you. I mean, I also had asthma when I was at primary school. So I was taken out for physio. I was taken out for when I had asthma attacks, all of these things. So, I mean, there were times when I was in like one day a week. You have to catch up on all this school. But luckily, I mean, I don't know why, 50-50, the people I've spoken to, you either, they either have no problems at school or they have problems at school. I don't know why, if it's like exactly 50-50, I find it quite interesting. Yeah, it is odd, isn't it? It's, uh, I, th I think I understand why there should be problems and it's not, it's understandable in a way that other children behave that way. Um, you know, kids don't know what they're saying and how hurtful things can be. Yeah, and they're naturally curious, I think. Well, they're naturally curious and they, and they will regularly just spot what's different. Um, and that could be anything. Um, and it doesn't mean that these kids grow up to be people who are, who are terrible people or anything like that. It's just children can be like that and they can be quite nasty when, you know, they sink their teeth into something and decide that they're going to go into bully over it. Um, but I think it just depends on, on the kids at any individual school and you know, maybe the way they were brought up as well. It only takes, I think, one or two who are a bit more influential on the playground for it to, be, to become more of a problem. In primary school, I had... It was funny for me. The bullying kid... I had a couple of bullies at the very end of primary school. Like, up until year six, it was fine. Suddenly in year six, year seven, year eight, they suddenly started perking up. I don't know if that was because that's it. That's when I started playing cricket, which we'll get onto later. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, I was quite talented at it, but not to blow my own horn or anything. But, but I don't know if it was like saying that you know I'm 
disabled and I can still do this and you know I'm better than they are and they're fully abled in you know you never know what what they're thinking yeah you don't you don't know and I mean for me I say being poor at a lessons to go and do things maybe they saw that was a bit of special treatment there's one other thing I just want to go back to in terms of physio um which yeah, yeah, sure. I think it's worth mentioning is yeah well I had physio through and he was through the NHS and the physios to come to my school and help me and I go into into hospitals at physio my parents did a, a great job on that as well you know it didn't stop when the physio wasn't there uh, one of the things I remember from a very young age was every Sunday me and my dad would walk up a hill nearby to a tower and that started off with I couldn't walk up the tower my dad would you know, get part away if my dad would carry me the rest of the way and then as I got older then I could walk it um, thankfully, yeah, I could walk it before I got too heavy for it. Um, but they, they took what was really essential essential physiotherapy at that point for me and turned it into a family activity. And they made it into something positive and something to look forward to on a weekend. I think that's a key thing. If you find it, I mean, anything can technically be physio. Any physical activity can be physio at the end of the day. But it's the key part is making it fun. You don't want to be doing, especially when you're, a child in primary school you don't want to be doing you know stretches and little exercises on a mat i mean that's not fun for a child walking up a hill exploring the world that is fun for a child so i think yeah it is it's how you can bring physio in other activities i mean like you said you you did half and then yeah you couldn't when you stopped your parents took you the other half which is which is the key part because they're showing you where you can be or what what's what you can get there, just it takes time. Yeah, and he also just have a thing. And for personally for me, my dad worked a lot, so it was some time I spent with him. And to have that something to look forward to was our day together, our morning together every Sunday was something that for me meant a lot. And just to have that and it also be physio and it, it, that meant a lot to me. Um, and it really helped. Um, you know, you can see progress every week. You know, you make it a little bit further up, up the hill before... Yeah, you have to be, you need help. And then getting to the top was a massive achievement for me as a child. Using that example, I think that's a good point to start where we can see that physio is, stops focusing on physio and we start moving towards just general sport. The importance of sport, I mean, we can talk about the importance of sport is important generally, but for people with disabilities and, you know, with your disability, how good is sport? I mean, that's a very heavy question, I know. I mean, it's a very open question too, but, you know, if you find a sport that you like, I mean, this, this is the problem, I think. If you find a sport that you like, it's much easier, but if you're not necessarily a sporty person, how would you summarize how good sport is? Well, I, I sort of preface that you're saying, if you're not a sporty person, I, I was, and I came from a very sport-driven family, and my dad was a huge sports fan and a football in his younger, younger days and he really wanted me to focus on sport because of the social life it gave him you know he still to this day goes once a year and meets up with his old footballing buddies and they go for a few drinks together and even that I had an interest in sport you know he, at the age of four um, there was the World Cup 1994 in the United States and apparently I was glued to the TV at the age of four because I just loved football at that age so I'm definitely coming from a place where I liked sport, 
But my parents also really drove that. You know, I was enrolled in summer classes for cricket, swimming, football, rugby, just to name a few. Everything. That, that helped the strength in my legs. I, I didn't have that strength. And despite the fact that I was slower than the other children or didn't have the strength needed, I was always the kid who would get on with it, who would always, you know, just keep working through it and had some real determination, really. And that really helped build up build up my leg strength. But as you well know, I, I settled on cricket probably from about the age of 12. And I think the reason I chose cricket, and I don't know what your reasons were for this, but there are some physical aspects to cricket. For example, you know, if you were pace bowl and you're, you're running into bowl quickly, there's quite a lot of physical strain. But what I thought is you can pick your role a little bit and you can refine it and you can yeah you can define your role in a team but also you can almost make up for some physical aspects in cricket with skill so for me i started off as a leg spin bowler because i could take two strides and bowl and i batted at 11 and i didn't i didn't i bowled leg spin and um it was only when i got physically stronger that i then transitioned to things that i was probably just better at which was as you all know, because when I played with you as a batsman and eventually as a wicketkeeper, that's the reason I really went involved with, got involved with cricket. It was there was a route in for me that wasn't quite as physically demanding to start with. It probably helped at the time that the impression of spin bowlers was that they weren't very good in the field anyway. So he just made me one of another spin bowler. <laughs> it's funny that you said 12, because I think for some reason, yeah, it's around that time. I think I started playing cricket 10-ish, but it's around that 10, 12 time that you get into cricket. And I remember why I got into it so quickly. It was because one, you technically you only needed one hand for it. Even though you see everyone using two bowling bats, it's all two hands. One of my specialities, I find ways of doing everything with one hand, you know, bowling, batting, like everything in day-to-day life. The first thing you would at school, the first thing we were doing was, you know, do you remember, I'm not sure if you did this, but windmill bowling, or seesaw bowling, some people call it, basically just, you teach ball in stage one. No yeah. one's ever played cricket, ever. How to chuck the ball with a straight arm, basically. And I mean, I thought, well, this is easy, I can do this with one hand, because I don't need the left side to do anything, just chuck the ball. And it works. And, um, it, and it worked, and it was an easy way in for me. I think cricket is one of those sports that does give you a little bit more leeway on that. I'm not trying to say that other sports are, because of, I never went far enough down, down the route of, of other sports to really ever find out. But it just seems like one of those sports, I say, you can play it almost, well, you can play it completely one-handed. Um, yeah, and I, some of the things I've seen when we both played for Surrey Disability, well, I've seen some crazy things. Um, I mean, there was, I've forgotten his name, but there was the, the guy who played for Essex who used to be a pace bowler who ran in on crutches. And then yeah, off to the ground when he, when he bowled, which was miraculous. But he was their opening bowler for a while and, and just a, a very good player. It's just remarkable yeah. what some people could do. I think cricket is a very adaptable sport. The only thing is you have to keep your arm straight. If you can keep your arm one arm straight when you bowl through, that's all you need, and then it's just. And then I mean, it's practice, practice, practice. Yeah, practice. I think. I think. Yeah, you know, I think it's worth mentioning. You're saying you obviously 
you played essentially one-handed. But, you know, your aiming for bowling usually comes from your other hand. So there, there are things that are still challenging, uh, most certainly. Uh, that they're not insurmountable problems. I think it's also, at the beginning, if you have a good coach and they show you how well you can do and how, you know, good you can be, then that's a very crucial part. Like, I still have... I started playing club cricket when I was 10. I'm still at the same club, still with the same coach. So I've had the same coach for, <laughs> oh God, almost 20 years, which I mean, yeah, and he showed me, you know, my coach was, was very interesting because he doesn't act like, it's very important this for not just cricket, but I think for everything. They don't act like you have a disability. Yeah, I, th I think a good coach gives you support when you need it, but they don't exactly. draw attention to the disability unless there's a need. Yeah. And I think that's that's something that's kind of, you know, not just within sport, but something that I think is maybe a little trickier from a, from a point of view of some disability is when you need help and someone offers help and that's good versus I know I used to get a bit, snippy with some people if they offer help and I didn't need it, which is the wrong attitude for me. Um, but I don't know if you've ever had that scenario where so someone comes and offers you help and you don't need any and, and it's a bit, well, well, why are you doing this? And they only mean to help, I suppose, but it's, it just, uh, sometimes that irks me a little bit. Yes, it can be, it's, it can be infuriating because, I mean, I think from our point of view, it's like, yes, we're not that disabled, we can, we can do it ourselves. But then I think what the hard bit is, is when you do need help and they don't realize you need help. I think that's the one that's because they somehow realize when you don't need help, but when you do need help, they don't realize. I mean, for me, my friends have sort of taken a little tangent here, but like social situations, I can't use my left arm. So if I'm like holding a drink and I want to say hello to someone, it's the most infuriating thing possible. But luckily, my friends just know we have a system now. I don't even think that they realize that we have a system. But, you know, they will literally subconsciously take my drink. I shake their hand and bring, give me back my drink. And if I'm alone, I, there's a table by the side. Yeah, I think in those situations, friends are very important because, you know, they will know when you're okay to do whatever you need to do and when you need help. But it's, yeah, it's finding those people, I think, originally. <laughs> Because in primary school, secondary school, it's harder because, yeah, I'm not going to say they don't care, but they're not. I, I think they also lack quint socially. I think when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you grow a lot socially anyway. Like you become a bit more comfortable. Yeah. I think maybe when, when people are younger than that, they, oh, this is odd and I don't really know how to deal with it and not having maybe as much of the social skill set to, to know what to do. Whereas you, you kind of work it out a bit more when you're a little bit older. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. I'm sure I can circle around to the important sport yeah. again. We, we, we got well, we'll circle back around to the, we got off a tangent to, for social mobility. And yeah, so bringing it back to sport, because I, I assume you were playing for a club at that time. I was only playing for club. I got involved with ah, you disability cricket when I was at university um, and only in my final year. So. It was something that was raised at the time, but wrongly, I think. 
I didn't want to be involved in disability cricket. Um, we can get to the into the reasons for that maybe in a little bit. But yes, yeah, so I was only playing at club level, um, and I was playing for well, playing for the under thirteens local sort of local village team. Yeah, because I was playing for my club and for my school. Now my experiences between club and school are completely different. Like at the school, I felt like I was not to be like uh, un PC or anything, but a diversity hire. At club, you know, I was top two. I was top two, and then. At school, I was, you know, batting 12 and bowling last last bowler. And I'm wow. thinking. Yeah. Also, to guess a bit why I'm here, I, I ended up playing for my school, but I played. We only had a cricket program for the last two years. So, and that was in sixth form. So I was playing when I was like 17, 18. And I, I, I don't know if I, them just, I saw them just people who were better in the, better in the team, but. Yeah, I'd be brought in to play games and I'd bat 11 and not get a ball. And I thought, well, what am I doing here? I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And, you know, I remember even in one year, the coach turning to the captain and being like, give him a ball. And the guy said, the captain went, nah. He's <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I feel good enough. I mean, I had this, yeah, I had this, that, that's, that was basically my experience. I, it's the, you know, diversity hire, I call it. But yeah, I mean, the problem is they didn't let you show how good you can be. No. That was the problem. The other advantage I had at the school a little bit was there were some people who played for my club who also played for the school, which got me a little bit more sort of leeway in what was happening. But yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, these kind of things do happen. I even had issues at club level where they stopped, they asked me to stop coming to senior training. Uh, you see, I went straight to a disability, like fully disability cricket club, so I never had that issue. I'll just tell you a funny story. So when I was playing, I was in a match at school. I was bowling last as usual. It ends up, you know, I get two of them out straight away. And they look at you, they, they look at you like so surprised. And I'm just like, I do this every week for my club. I know how to bowl. If you aim at the wicket long enough, yeah. batsman's going to make an error. That's, that's my strategy normally. And the batsman's made errors. It's not, it's not that I haven't have suddenly become amazing. It's just I'm tenacious, but yeah, I mean, it didn't change anything, unfortunately. So I've, you know, I sort of stopped trying at school and just focused on my club because. I mean, I, I, I was lucky. I mean, a couple of things. I mean, sport in general made sort of everyday life easier because of my leg strength grew. And that didn't just make me a better player, but it also meant I didn't get as tired during the days and things like that. So I got better as a player but it's when I went to university I ended up playing for a village team and I think the first game they brought me in I said well we'll back you at eight and we'll give you we'll give you yeah we'll give you a bowl to try you out basically but they were you know for, I think the first game I got seven overs and then from there we, we went back and forth and, and after a year or so he was one of those, well, actually, you're a better batsman than you are a bowler. And within two years, I was opening the batting. And, it, you know, it, I think it's about the people you were around. I think... The, I th yeah, that's a big part, I think, yeah. My, my local club growing up were very much of the opinion of, oh, we'll give this kid a, a try, but he'll never play for a senior team, right? The junior levels are fine. We'll never give him a senior game. But, I, you know, I'll go to another club and, you know, I ended up being vice-captain and opening the batting for them. Uh, within a couple of years and, you know, pulling my weight in the team. I think that's that's the important. It's the environment. 
So the correct environment and you're going to succeed without disabilities with, I mean, this is just general life advice, I think. With the right environment, the ability to succeed is so much better. Otherwise, you know, you're going against the wrong flow of the river, for example. In that case, it is it is interesting, the dynamics of how things work, especially how things work at school versus club. It's a big difference. The reason I ended up in Surrey was I used to drive, and because I live in London, I drove an hour and a half. I'd still drive an hour and a half to my club cricket because I know, I, I mean, I like the club. That's why I drive an hour and a half nowadays. But then even when I was playing at Surrey, I was in secondary school. I wasn't playing any of the school games. I think Danny even wrote a letter to my school. <laughs> well, yeah, Danny was our coach and he, I think he had a real, he looked out for everyone on the team, didn't he? Because I know uh, Roger came and played for the same club that I did. Yeah. Anyone who wasn't getting regular game time at a club, he would help them find new clubs. He would help the, you know, speak to people. So they were playing some football cricket, even if it wasn't, if it was, they couldn't play for their schools or whatever, that was fine. But yeah, to play he, some. he would do whatever he could to try and help out. Yeah. Danny was a very great motivator, I think. And that's kind of been lost. I mean, I haven't played properly for Surrey for not, not nothing. Not at all this year, but I played a little bit last year. And that's gone. It's very much, you know, we need to be the best team. If you're not if you're not up to scratch, you're not playing. I think that misses out some of the point of disability cricket though. I think, you know, you want to be competitive, you want to have you don't want it just to be go and have fun but there's no winners. You you want that competition. But by the same token, you know, the I'll always remember you know, the smiles on people's faces, particularly some of the guys with more of the learning disability side and the way Danny was with them and getting to see see how much it, much it meant to them and to see how much people grew, not just as cricketers, but as people under those circumstances. I, I think that was a huge part of, of, of that. And it's one of the reasons I loved playing disability cricket. In, the, in our case, cricket builds personality positivity, all these things, but in sport in general, I mean, whatever sport, if you have the right environment, you don't get these advantages, I think. It was, it's a good continuation from physio because, you know, especially cricket, yes, it's not too, I mean, people say it's not too fitness intensive, but then you people forget you're on that field for eight hours. You make it as physically demanding as you want to an extent. I mean, if you want to be the quickest person on the field, you need to be running drills and, and doing all that in, in the spare in your spare time as well. So I think there's a you make it as physical as you want to make it. And yes, you can be a, the stereotypical new village cricketer who rolls out of bed ten minutes before the game, shows up, doesn't warm up and plays. Does exist, but they're not going to be the best person on the team. Um, you know, exactly. You, you can put a lot of effort in now. I think. Yeah, even we see it from a, you know, international cricket and and you know more mainstream, more mainstream cricket. You see how the game's evolved. It's gone from having, you know, players that were a bit out of shape but had a bit of skill to these guys are athletes, you know, real athletes. Yeah, proper athletes. I mean, I I remember seeing people who were very much out of shape playing for certain teams. 
uh, you know, international level, that, that's all gone. I mean, you can't keep up. That's the problem with the. I mean, if you have, there was a phase I remember when there was like half of the team was, you know, fit, fit as a fiddle, and the other half weren't. And then there's that divide slowly grew of the like performance wise. I mean, there was too much of a discrepancy. But that leads me on really to how sport creates a positive mindset. So I mean, we've been talking about you know how sport's great for especially for us, but sport in general, how does it like? impact your mindset in general life i think there's a few things here I, one exercise is known to be a mood lifter um it, it boosts mental health all the time anyway so that's that's a fairly you know, obvious thing you know good diet and exercise always always helps mental health regardless um but also it, it, you know if you are getting stronger it adds confidence and confidence is such a huge factor for me it's not a case of sport that really affected my mental health as much. It did, but it, there were other things that, that came into it. And I think for me, I struggled with mental health as a child. As I said, I was bullied quite badly at primary school. I suffered with some depression. But all I ever wanted as a child was to be normal. And that for me was such a horrible mindset to have. And I always thought was, I was different and I wanted to be normal. It got better as I got older. But it didn't go away really until I finished university and I met my now wife, Carl. And she had really helped me understand that my disability is part of who I am. I wouldn't be the person I was without my disability. And some of the things that are part of my personality, which I'd like to include determination, resilience, and, and drive as examples, really have, have made me who I am. And it's difficult to really accept and embrace your disability when you're younger. Since I've done that and I've accepted that he's given me these positives, it's massively helped my confidence. And it's also, it's helped in, in my life in general. I'd, I'd like to think that I've lived a fairly successful life thus far. You know, I've lived in various places around the world. I've done a PhD abroad. Um, and some of these things might have been daunting or challenging for people. But I think when you've been through other things in your life, that becomes easier. And I'm grateful that I've got those personality traits because of my disability. And I think, again, accepting the disability, embracing what it's given me, has made such a huge difference to my mental health over the years. I just wish I'd done that earlier. Again, it's really to boost the confidence and, and then overall mental health. It, I mean, it's crazy that how confidence can have such a big impact. Huge. Sport gives you confidence. Confidence helps you in, you know, every, every aspect of life. And if you have that right amount, because I, I remember I used to be, I mean, I'm not sure if you noticed, especially during the first years. Uh, sorry, I was really shy. I remember. <laughs> I mean, now I am, I mean, I'm hosting a podcast. I mean, look at me. The shyness is, has gone. But yeah, I mean, it's just that transformation from, of, you know, bringing in the confidence that you need to be able to do stuff. But I then, I mean, like you said, I always ask myself the question, if I didn't have this disabilities, would I be the same person? No one, no one knows. I mean, I have a theoretical answer to myself is, I think that my personality wouldn't be the same. Yeah, your personality is driven by life experiences. And 
you know, I think having a disability means you have different life experiences. For, for you know, some of them you could look at as being potentially more negative, but then they give you tools to help deal with that, and, and, and vice versa. So I think I would most certainly be a different person if I hadn't had a disability. Um, and I'm grateful for the things that have come out of the disability that I see the positive things that have come out of that. For me, it's, you, you know, you're always in a situation seeing how to adapt to a situation. You might not need to, but you're always thinking it from that different angle and, you know, you're always trying to solve problems. So I think it's that that sort of helps open your mind and you're open to many, many ideas. You know, anything, any out of the box thinking is, you're, you're going to think of it to try and solve something if you can't do it. So in that instance, it's, Perfect. I mean, I always think, it's quite funny, but I always think, yeah, I might not have had the same personality, but I would have been a monster at cricket. <laughs> well, I, I go the other way. I always look at it and go, well, if I hadn't had a disability, would I have had the same opportunities at cricket? And I might have ended up That's being a good question, better actually. player, but I've played uh, a county ground twice. I'll brag a little. I've scored a 50 at the Oval, which I always like to try and drop in if I can. But I, I wouldn't have had the chance that I wouldn't have had those opportunities if I didn't have a disability. And yeah, I, I might be a slightly better player, but then I might have just been playing for the same teams and been slightly better. I don't yeah. I there's no guarantee that translates into into anything the more. Chance. I mean, would you be would you be playing for uh, the sorry? Sorry, number ones. <laughs> you, we, we don't know. We can always dream. But I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Oval. Yeah, we've played at Oval, Lords. Not many people can say that they've batted, you know, scored 50 in the in the grounds. But I mean, I bottled my Oval play. It was very sad, but I still played. <laughs> well, just to say that you've, you've played all that ground, I think there's not, there's not that many people who get that opportunity and it's... Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't forget it. It was a, it was an amazing experience. They got my name wrong on the on the oh, ball, no. which was kind of, kind of annoying. I was, I was just going to say that that thing. I remember I was walking up to bat and I looked at the scoreboard and my name was on it. And I was like, oh wow. Yeah, I didn't expect the names to come up, but <laughs> they got my name wrong. Oh. Uh, but you know, it's still, it's still one for the history books, I suppose. I mean, adapting in different scenarios. We talked a, a little bit about that sort of you know how it affects your personality i mean for anyone with uh, your condition would you give anyone any tips and tricks to sort of help with day-to-day -day life let's say or in certain scenarios it's it's difficult because of the severity of the symptoms from chances of myelitis vary quite drastically um i actually know somebody else in myelitis as an adult and they really have no noticeable, you know, their disability is basically invisible and, you know, fit as fiddle, no, no problems that you can see. And then other people, it can bring almost full paralysis. So it's, it's really hard for me to talk about any physical tips or tricks because of each person who's got chance of myelitis will have their own individual challenges. And I just hope that some of the experiences that I've given here will, will help a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sport is always going to help, I think, and physio, 
positive mindset is a key one, I think. Well, that's the thing I think is worth mentioning is, you know, your disability is part of you, but you aren't your disability. You can do anything that you want and that anything is possible. I mean, I was, I was told I would never walk again. Don't ever give up on on dreams and achievements that you, that you want because there are more that are achievable than you, you might think. Um, you know, and the, the big thing is, is when you can, you know, I, I get it's hard, particularly when you're younger, but accept and embrace embrace the disability. Accept that it's it's there. Don't, you know, this whole thing of that I did, which was I just want to be normal, was a really bad mindset. Um, and that caused me, you know, uh, struggle with mental health. I think, yeah, but I think everyone is, I mean, luckily I had a, my brother who basically treated me like I had, didn't have a disability at all, but you know, inside you still, you know, you still ask yourself, especially when you're younger, especially during teenage years, I think those hormonal years, you're like, I wish, you know, well, I wish I was normal, basically. I mean, you shouldn't have that mindset, but it's always going to cross your mind. The point, I think my point is, okay, you don't have that thought at some thought at some point, but focus on stuff that you can control. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you can't control that and you are still you and you are in control of whatever you want to be. Um, and use that, it, you know, just be, um, you know, the, I think the quicker you, I think it's different for different people. If you, if you fixate on trying to be normal, I think that's different to that odd thought popping into your head. I think the odd thought popping into your head is a bit more manageable and it will have less impact. If you know, you can fixate on this though, and assume you can get to a place where you can accept and embrace what the disability give that's get, has given you that's positive, the more confident and happy you'll become because of that. And it's yeah. I'm not no, I agree. easy easy thing to do because it took me twenty five years and well, took me about twenty years of my life before I started doing this. Yeah, I mean we say it's easy to do, but yeah, I I mean I'm the same I'm the same. I mean it's funny, when I a child I was very open, but then when I became more aware of my disability, I became very shy. And that took up twenty years of my life. I was shy for about twenty years of my life. So we say it's easy, but it's not it's not easy. But it is you can overcome it. I think we've been talking from, you know, a, that physio good physio means it, you know, and good sport gives you a positive mindset. But I think also positive it goes the other way. Positive mindset can get you into sport and physio. So it's kind of a two way street or a circle maybe. But, you know, as long as you try and I think as long as you get onto one of those, yes. then you'll eventually get all three. I, I, I agree. I, say, I agree. I don't think any of the steps you, you take are necessarily, are necessarily easy. I think bringing yourself, particularly if you've got, I'm speaking more from a physical disability point of view here, because um, I can't speak for learning disability, but if you, getting into sport could be really challenging for some people because of insecurity and, and things like that. Oh yeah, it's. I would suggest not that it's easy, but it's probably easier than you think. Um, I think you can think you can so. build walls around. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you make you make excuses to yourself. Yeah, to protect yourself, and then you turn up that one day, and then it's just like, oh, everyone's so welcoming, and I can actually do this. I like this. 
I mean, I remember, so my cricket club, when I joined, was about full of, was 20 people. Then we went through a drought of, basically, there were some times when it was just me and Fraser at the club. Wow. For, I mean, it was good for me because, you know, one-on-one coaching and all that. But the coaches weren't, I mean, I have to pick up my coaches because they were volunteers. Me and Fraser basically kept the club, the disability club open for five years, six, five to 10 years of its existence. But now, now that I've just come out of playing Surrey and let's be honest, I'm growing out of a, a sort of disability, child, children's disability club right now. I only go there because to help now and a little bit of coaching after. But now I see it's back. We've got a whole new cohort of people with all, you know, all matter range of disabilities. You know, you've got people, there's one there, with someone there with no legs. It's amazing the technology, they strap something onto his legs. He straps something onto his legs. So he basically runs on his knees. Oh, wow. When he's bowling. So, I mean, the technology has advanced tremendously. I mean, let's ask, I'll leave you with one final question. And that is, what are you looking forward to in the future, sport-wise, life-wise? I, I don't have as much time for sport as I used to. Things get harder when you do stop doing the sport because of you lose you lose some of that. But unfortunately, you, know, you get older, priorities change a little bit. So Work. Yeah, yeah no work. Um, but no, you know, I, I really enjoy my job. Um, my, my wife and I recently, well, last year we moved to the countryside. So we're setting up a, a new life here and... You know, we want to start a family and, and start these new adventures together. Um, so really looking forward to life in general um, and looking forward to, to what's to come. There's a lot of exciting things I, I hope in, more in the future for us. From a more sport point of view, I think I'd like to get back involved with some outreach work, um, helping people with disabilities, uh, maybe through cricket. Um, I've, I've tried reaching out to... A few people to offer some help, and unfortunately, I've not not really heard anything back, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but you know, if I can do something just to, just to try and help out somewhere, I'd, I'd like to do that again. I feel like I've got a huge amount out of the the disability cricket system, and it'd be nice to put something back here if someone lets me to give back. Yeah, no, that's I mean that's a good outlook on life. Yeah, you seem to. I mean, there's a whole new adventure for you just about to start it seems so that's awesome thank you matthew for coming on the podcast today it was great fun talking about transverse myelitis and the help that sport has both mentally and physically especially cricket if you'd like to know more or come on to the podcast please look at the show notes in the description to get in contact with me thank you very much for listening and i hope to see you on the next episode of the disability podcast